This is a Courageous Church podcast, equipping and empowering you to live a courageous life. Join us now as we listen to a message from Courageous Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. I'm going to read from John chapter 8, beginning in verse 12. And I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you're bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and I know where I'm going. But you don't know where I came from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your Father? And Jesus answered, you, you know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. Now, by way of introduction, I want to set the stage for us. Jesus is speaking as he attends one of seven Jewish feasts, the Feast of Tabernacles. This is one of three pilgrimage feasts. The pilgrimage feasts required all Jewish males, no matter where they lived, to return to Jerusalem three times a year to the temple to appear before God. The three feasts are familiar to you, the Feast of Passover, the Feast of Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles, also known as the Feast of Booths, booths or shelters or tents. It's from the Hebrew word Sukkot. The word literally means booth. Because the Jews, in commemorating this feast, would erect makeshift tents and they would eat in them, some would sleep in them for the seven-day-long feast. When does the feast take place? Is it coincidental that in 2022, the feast of Sukkot begins Sunday evening, October 9th? That's tonight. And it lasts for seven days until Sunday evening, October 16th. It's a seven-day feast. And yet God told the Jews to celebrate an additional day. And most of us miss this fact. He said, I want you to celebrate one additional day. And we find ourselves on that day as we hear Jesus' words. Now let me mention that the early manuscripts of the New Testament sequence the feast and John's gospel this way. John chapter 7, verse 1 through 53. 
Verses 1 through 52 is Jesus at the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths, and his interactions. And then in the last verse, verse 53, it says they all went to their homes. It was the end of the day. They all went home. But in the earliest manuscripts, the narrative doesn't pick up in verse 1 of chapter 8. It actually picks up in verse 12. Verses 1 through 11 are not in the earliest manuscripts of the New Testament. In fact, we do not find them, those verses in any manuscripts until the 5th century, 400 AD. So what I'm saying is, as we look at the feast, we're going to see that all of chapter 7 covers it, and then we can jump right to verse 12. They've gone to their homes, and now the eighth day has begun, and they're gathering again at the temple, and Jesus is once again speaking. The feast existed to commemorate God's faithfulness to deliver Israel out of Egypt. That's what they're celebrating. God, by his strong hand, releases the children of Israel from the domination of Pharaoh, and he brings them out into the wilderness, delivers them as they cross the sea, destroys Pharaoh and his chariots, and then God protects them and provides for them for 40 years. We call these the wilderness wanderings. It's interesting how he provides. God provides food, manna and quail. God provides water, even from rocks. It pours out for the thirsty Jews. And during the day, there's a cloud that leads them, this procession of people. A cloud leads them, and as the cloud moves, they move with it. And the cloud acts as a shade from the heat of the desert sun. And then at night, there's a pillar of fire, the Bible says. And the pillar of fire, if it moves, they move with it. But when it stops, they camp. And the fire provides heat in the cold desert evenings. God provides. And that's why they're celebrating at this feast. At the seventh day of the feast, the closing verses of chapter 7... There is a ceremony that takes place. The priests would draw water from the pool of Siloam. They would bring that water and they would pour it out over the altar in the temple. And in so doing, they depicted the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which God has promised. And John, as he writes calls that day the last day and the greatest day of the feast. You can read it. In fact, in John chapter 7, verses 37 and 38, and we've studied this before, but let me repeat these verses. John says, on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood in the midst of the temple, in the midst of the throng of people who have gathered, and he cries out with a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, Jesus is saying, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And then John says, but this he spoke 
of the Holy Spirit, who those who believed in him were to receive. Were to receive because the Holy Spirit wasn't yet given. Now the day after Sukkot concludes, the seven days, the day after is also a holiday. God gave the Jews specific instructions to set the next day apart, Numbers 29.35. On the eighth day, hold a closing special assembly and do no regular work. The feast isn't over. People haven't left. Nobody's left Jerusalem. They're still there. They've gone to their homes. After the seventh day concludes, they've come back the next morning, and Jesus comes back. During this feast, Jews carry torches around the temple, reminding them of how God lighted their way through the wilderness. And they place four candle operas on the walls of the temple, reminding them of how God lit their, their way, their path. And it's on this eighth day that Jesus cries out again, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, Jesus' profound statement invites further argument and antagonism from the Pharisees the ruling religious leaders of his day. Their argument is, you're testifying about yourself. You're witnessing about your own life. And it's no good. We don't accept your testimony. Jesus does something we really don't see him do anywhere else in the Gospels. He offers his apologetic. Apologetic? He's apologizing? No. Uh, An apologetic is a defense. How many times when pressed, Jesus refuses to answer? Jesus holds back the revelation. So much of what we we learn about Jesus is recorded by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, by the Apostle Paul. But here in John chapter 8, Jesus defends himself. This is really fascinating. In verses 14 through 30, Jesus says a number of things, not just to the leaders, but to the Jews that are listening. He says, I've come from the Father. I'll return to the Father because I'm sent by the Father. That's how he begins. Then he says, the Father bears witness to me. What did he mean by that? The Father bears witness? Do you remember John the Baptist baptizing? And John says, He who sent me to baptize told me that the one I see the Spirit descending upon is the Messiah. That's what John said. And when Jesus was baptized, the Bible says that heaven opened and the Spirit of God descended, and there was a voice. They heard a voice. What did the voice say? Who was this voice? This is Father God. God says, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Testimony. 
God is witnessing the Father to the Son. He is witnessing this is He. Jesus says, I don't just witness of myself. The Father bears witness to me. Then further in these verses, Jesus says, I only do what pleases the Father. And then he says, I speak what I hear from the Father. What you hear me saying, he's telling me to say. And then he says, I do nothing of my own initiative. This is an apologetic. This is a defense. Not of the gospel. This is a defense of, of himself. He's defending who he is. And verse 30 says, and many believed. You know, it could be that simple today for some of you. Some of you haven't believed yet. I don't have inside information. I just know anytime there's a group of people that gather, there's often skeptics or there are seekers or they used to call them sinner friends when I was younger and growing up. People that don't know the Lord yet. Just because we're in church doesn't necessarily mean we're believers or disciples, followers of Christ. Many believed, and I pray that would be true for us today, that many or some would, would believe and receive the Lord. Fascinating. Jesus apologetic. In fact, there are three different references in John chapter 7 of the Jews seeking to kill Jesus. Did you realize that? They wanted to kill him already. But it says his time was not yet. So there's really two dynamic themes that are developed here in chapter 7 and chapter 8. And I, I, I want to touch on them briefly this morning. First, Jesus says, I am. Jesus Christ is the I am. He clearly illustrates it with seven various titles that are revealed to us throughout the Gospel of John. Second, Jesus is the light of the world which has already been clearly articulated in John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, by John, the writer of the gospel, and now Jesus takes the title to himself. Look at John 1, verse 4 and 5. We'll put it up. John says, in Jesus, in him, in him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness hasn't overcome it or understood it. Jesus' life is the light of men. And Jesus now takes this title to himself, and he says, I am the light of the world. Now, in the Greek New Testament, Jesus' words are very clearly recorded. He said, I am. The Greek is ego eimi. Ego eimi. I am. And this is a clear announcement of his equality with God in eternity past, present, and future. It's a clear reference to Christ's divinity. Jesus is using the same words in New Testament Greek that are used in the Old Testament in Exodus chapter 3. In Exodus chapter 3, Moses encounters a burning bush, and he interacts with one who says, take your sandals off because the ground you stand on is holy. He interacts with God. 
And God says, I want you to go back to Egypt and I want you to lead my people out of bondage. And Moses is perplexed and he says, well, I don't think they're going to like this and they're not going to believe me, but okay, I'll go. But who should I tell them sent me? What should I tell them your name is? And God answers, tell them I am that I am. Literally, the self-existent one. But what's fascinating is that in the third century B.C., 70 translators translated Old Testament Hebrew into Greek, and it's called the Septuagint, which means 70. The Bible used in the first century by Jews and by the early church was not Hebrew scriptures. It was the Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures. It was the Septuagint. They used the Greek Bible. It was the common language. And if you were to go to Exodus chapter 3 in the Septuagint, when God says, I am that I am, do you know what he says? He says, ego eimi. Ego eimi. And you know what Jesus says? Jesus says, I am. Ego eimi. He takes the very title that God has taken for himself and shares with Moses. Jesus is God. Now, I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know who has influenced you, whether parent, friend, educators, religion. But I'm very interested in what Jesus has to say in his word regarding himself and regarding these things. The seven I am statements in the Gospel of John, I, I've shared them with you before, but let's put them up again. Number one, I am. I am the bread of life. Number two, I am the light of the world. Number three, I am the door of the sheep. Number four, I am the good shepherd. Number five, I am the resurrection and the life. Number six, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Think about this. Jesus says, I am the self-existent one. Ego Amy, I am, number seven, the true vine. This is fantastic. Jesus unequivocally states here on the eighth day, I am the light of the world. And today, just for a few minutes, I want to contrast the problem of darkness to the light that Christ is and brings. Now listen, Genesis and Revelation both reveal the origin and the significance of light. The Bible begins and ends with references to light. Really? Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? And the earth was without form and void. And darkness moved on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God hovered over the spirit of the waters. It was dark. In verse 3, And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. Now, isn't it interesting that in John chapter 1, 
John tells us that all things were made by Jesus and that nothing, I said nothing was made that was made but by Jesus. When the Bible says in the beginning God created, it's saying in the beginning Jesus Christ created the heaven and the earth. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Within the nature of the one true God, three distinct persons. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Not personalities. Not personages of spirit. Three persons, one God. And the agent of God in creation is Jesus Christ. Just like the agent of God in future judgment is Jesus Christ. All judgment has been given unto the Son. Jesus is going to judge. It doesn't mean the Father doesn't exist. It just means he utilizes, he carries out creation, he carries out judgment through the Son. Amazing, right? In Revelation 21, verse 23, speaking of the New Jerusalem, that city that we will dwell in as believers in the future, you better believe I believe it, it says, there is no need for a sun or a moon. The glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. What? The Lamb, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world is Jesus Christ. Who's telling us here, I am the light of the world. And then in Revelation 22, verse 5, last chapter of the Bible, it says, And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light. That's our light. He will be our light. And they will reign forever and ever. We will reign with Christ. So this light I'm speaking of is both literal and figurative. What do I mean by literal? Well, 1 John 1 verse 5, we'll put it up. It says, God is light, right? God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. In 1 Timothy 6, 16, it says, God lives in unapproachable light that no one has seen. We need to be careful that we're not too arrogant, that we not think too highly of ourselves. I know we're, we're, we're a master race. We're really developed, aren't we? We think we've got this all figured out. It's true whether we're young or whether we're old many times. But I think we need to hear what the Spirit of God is saying to the churches. What is God speaking to our lives? Jesus says he is the light of the world. Now listen, stay with me. He is not a light. Jesus is not a light. Jesus says of John the Baptist, he was a bright and shining light. But John in chapter 1 says John isn't the light, but he testifies about the light. He isn't the Messiah. He testifies about the Messiah. John isn't the light, but he's going to point us to Jesus who is the light. John is a light. Jesus says, I am the light. 
This is a big difference. You say, well, you know, that's pretty simple, Jim. No, that's pretty profound. Wrap your mind around this. Jesus is the only light of the world. There is no other. There is no other light. Consider the implication of what I'm saying. Peter says it in Acts chapter 4, verse 12. He says, in fact, there is no other name under heaven given among men or people whereby we must be saved. There is no other name except Jesus. There's no other name. Not Muhammad. Not Buddha. Not Confucius. Listen, not Joseph. There's no other name. It's Jesus. If your focus is on someone or something other than Jesus, you've missed the mark. As have I. No other name. He's the way, he's the truth, he's the life, and no one comes to the Father but by him. You say, Jim, are you one of those people that say that there's no other way, that, you know, that there's, only, there's only, only Christianity? It's only Jesus? That's what the Bible teaches, and that's what Jesus said. God sent him, sealed him, allowed him to go to the cross to die for our sins in our place. There's no other sacrifice for sin but Jesus. And you can't earn your way to him. You can't please him. We don't deserve it. It's as Jason shared earlier, it's grace. But we've got to get a picture of who he is. He says, I'm the light of the world. Jesus says in John 8, 24, put it up. Unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. Now, if you're looking at a Bible, and it's sort of sad that so many of us don't carry Bibles anymore. Some of us have a phone some of us look at the slides, but a lot of us don't have a Bible. A lot of us have never held a Bible today. That's really tragic. You need to get your hands on a Bible and go to the table of contents and see, this is a real book. It's a living book. And, and thumb through its pages. Because when you read this verse, unless you believe that I am, you'll see another word in italics that says he. Unless you believe that I am he. The italicized word was added by the translators to make it easier for us to understand. Unfortunately, the translators didn't understand because Jesus said, you need to believe that I am or you'll die in your sins. And then Jesus says in John 9, 5, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Hebrews 1, 3, it says, Jesus is the radiance, the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of God's nature, and Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. So listen, to follow Jesus, to believe or to receive him, is to have his life. You see, what do I need to do to be saved? Receive Jesus. Believe the report and receive him. Receive I am into your life. And with his life, you'll receive something else. You know what it is? His light. Amazing. That's what John said. He pointed that out. We looked at it a moment ago. It's fascinating. 
In him was life, in Jesus' life, and the life is the light of men. The light that shines in us is from Christ. So when you receive Jesus Christ, you receive the light of life. And until the life of Jesus imparts light unto you, you cannot see. The Bible says you are dead in your sins. There are people walking around in darkness who believe they're illuminated. They think they can see, but they have no idea. Remember, you can't see the kingdom of God until you are born again. John chapter 3. Nicodemus was more religious than any of us. A devout Pharisee. And Jesus said, unless you're born again, Nicodemus, you can't see the kingdom of God because that which is born of flesh is flesh, and you're flesh. But that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And when you are born again, you're born of the Spirit. You're born from above. Amazing. So in Christ's life, we have the light of life. We become new creatures, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 517. He says, we're new creatures now. The old passes away and the new comes. Anyone else experience seeing things in a new light after you gave your life to Christ? You see things in a whole different way. It's because you have light now that you didn't have before. That's amazing. That's why we sing a song like, open the eyes of my heart, Lord, because I want to see you, but I want to see Open the eyes of my heart. See, in order to have this light, you must follow Jesus. Now, real quickly, I want to share some problems that are created by darkness, and I'm going to go real quickly. Because the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness hasn't comprehended it. Number one, it's a dark world that we live in. John 3, verse 19 says, and this is the judgment, light has come into the world, but people love the darkness rather than the light. It's in the world that we have this darkness. Ephesians 2, verse 2 says, you were dead in your trespasses and your sins in which you walked following the course of this world. The world is dark. The dark world that we live in produces dark hearts. Did you hear it? Dark hearts. Romans 121. I'll put that one up. For although they knew God, they didn't honor him as God or give him thanks, but be they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Some of the most brilliant people you'll ever meet are fools. And eternity will bear it out. And then dark deeds, deeds, Ephesians 5, verse 8. For you were once darkness, Paul says, but now you're light in the Lord. Live as children of light and find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. See, dark world, dark hearts produce dark deeds. And then finally, dark minds. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 3 and 4. Listen to this. Even if our gospel is veiled or hidden, it is veiled to those who are perishing, who are dying in their sins, whose minds the God of this age has blinded so they can't see the light of the gospel of Christ, 
Who is the God of this age? Who is the God of this world? It's Lucifer. Lucifer is the God of this world. And that's who we're referring to there. And he blinds people's minds so they can't see. And they're stumbling about in darkness. And many of them, when they hear the gospel, they just turn away and they reject it. They rationalize. They argue with God. Don't do it. Surrender. Give up. Because Jesus has come to rescue us. 1 Peter 2.9 says he called us out of the darkness into his marvelous light. Out of a dark world, from our dark hearts, which produced dark deeds and clouded our dark minds. And now we can follow him. Isaiah 9.2 predicted it. Matthew 4.16 sees the fulfillment. This is what it says. The people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light. And those who were sitting in the land and the shadow of death, upon them a light dawned. You can look back and say, yeah, that happened in the first century. They were in darkness and they saw the great light of Christ. It's true today. Many are sitting in darkness and the light dawns. And it's Jesus. Colossians 1.13 says, For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son. John 12.36 says, While you have the light, believe in the light so that you can become children of light. Don't turn your back on him. Receive him while you can. Listen, Jesus says, I am God. Muslims say Jesus is a prophet inferior to Muhammad. That makes Jesus a liar. Jesus is God. Jehovah Witnesses say Jesus is the archangel Michael and he's created. They make Jesus a liar. Jesus is God. Mormon doctrine says Jesus and Lucifer are brothers. And Jesus had a beginning. They make Jesus a liar. Jesus is God. And we need to surrender to Jesus. It's not about religion. It's about I am. And Jesus will change your life today. 1 John 1, 7 says, If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. So as we wrap up this morning, that's the invitation. It's surrender to the light of the world. You don't need to bow physically, but there's coming a day, the Bible says, when every knee shall bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. If you're not bowing physically, I, I beg you, bow spiritually, internally. Bow to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's I am. Receive him. 
Welcome him into your life. Surrender to the Lord of all, creator of heaven and earth, the judge of the living and the dead. Surrender to him because he loves you and he died for you. The great God and creator of the universe put on flesh and, and lived among us. And, and John says, we beheld his glory. We could see it. The glory as the only begotten of the Father. He was full of grace and he's full of truth. And if you start arguing, you start negotiating with God. Well, you know, I've done this and I've done that and I think this and I think that. Stop it. Surrender. Give up. He calls men everywhere to repent. Change your mind. Give up. Because he's here right now to welcome you into relationship and fellowship with him because he loves you. You could just pray a simple prayer to say, Father in heaven, I believe you sent Jesus. I am to die for me. And right now, I'm looking at things a little bit differently. I'm not going to be selfish. I'm not going to be conceited. I'm not going to argue. I'm going to admit it. You are Lord. You are God. Forgive me. Come into my life, Jesus. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I want to be your follower. I want to be your disciple. Change my life from the inside out. I confess and I believe Jesus Christ is Lord. If you prayed that prayer, it's done. He's imparting his life to you right now. And his light will shine through you now. Not after a probationary period. Not after you do certain penance. Right now. He loves us so much. And finally, he says, and now that you're walking in my life, listen to this. One in seven, he says, now you are the light of the world. It's not true of the other six, but you are the light of the world. And he says, let your light so shine before people that they see your good works. He doesn't mean your good works like you've drummed them up. It's the good works that are going to flow through you. It's the good works Ephesians 2 talks about that we've been created beforehand in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared for us to walk in. God prepared the works. We walk them out. Give him all the glory because we know what a mess we were before we met him and we know what a mess sometimes we are even with him. We're not a finished product yet. But let your light shine. That's the commission. I constantly have met believers when I pastored here in the valley. I meet them still today here. I meet them in Vegas. I meet them places that I go. They say, well, I'm tired of my church. I'm not learning. I'm not growing anymore. I, I need more meat. It's time for us to grow up. If you're saved, you're the light of the world. 
You're not supposed to just come here to get fed and, and enjoy everything and just say, well, I'm just looking for the best music and the best teaching and the best facilities and the best programs for my kids. I'm just looking for all these ways that I can tickle my fancy. No, you're the light of the world. I'm the light of the world. And if we're growing, maturing Christians, we need to get busy. We need to be telling Pastor Jason, how can we help? Candace, what do you need me to do? Hey, I want to go out with you door to door. I want to go out, just let the light shine through me. You know, I was excited yesterday just walking up and down your streets. These are my streets too. But more importantly, these are Jesus' streets. And we're just out there as the light. I walked by one young man. He was in his 20s, sitting out on the front yard. He's got rock and roll music blurring on his boombox, no shirt on. Always intimidating, but I walked up to him and I said, you know, we just... We're just new in the neighborhood. We're starting up a new fellowship up here at the Seventh-day Adventist Church on Sundays. Joy having you. Gave him an invitation. Said, love having you, bro. Handed it to him. Said, thanks, man. I walk on. Put a hanger on a house. Go to the next house. Put a hanger on the house. Go into the third house. I hear this voice behind me. He yells, hey, do you have live music there? I said, yeah. He said, I'll see you tomorrow. I don't see him today, but that doesn't mean he, I'm going back to his house. I'm going to go back and have a chat with that. I'm going, to, I'm going to sick Pastor Jason on him with that radio voice. I'm excited. I'm just walking around as the light of the world. I'm nothing, but Jesus shines through me and you. Amen. Thank you for listening today. If you were blessed and you want to be a part of what God is doing through Courageous Church, including ways that you can give, visit us online at Courageous Church dot com.